I thought there'd be a closing prayer, but I, that was kind of threw me off there. Buenos días, mis hermanos y hermanas, y las bendiciones de Dios. He dicho muchas veces que somos una familia, no cualquier familia, sino la familia de Cristo. Es muy importante porque es la verdad, dado que este es mi último domingo. Don't think I like the word ultimate. That's how they translate last. Ultimo domingo. Para predicar. Les agradezco su paciencia con mi español. José y María y Sara, gracias por traducir mis sermones. Muchas gracias. It's very difficult to translate a sermon. You have to not only know a second language, you have to be very fluent in those languages. And of course, Jose, Sara, y María, they are. Mis hermanos, hispanos, ustedes son especiales para mí. Que la gracia y la paz de Jesucristo esté con ustedes ahora y siempre. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Amen. I, um, I actually told the staff that this would be a relatively short message, and I guess the elders and staff took me at my word. <laughs> but during the course of the week between that moment and now, I thought I would give a regular message, so this might pour people in a while, but I'm not going to shorten this necessarily. We'll see what it is, see how the Lord works through it. I can tell you that... Um, Years ago, and I mean years ago, um, not sure how to get into this, but I really want to say it, that um, nearly three years ago, in July of 2018, uh, the elders, at the time Stephen Bridges, tapped me on the shoulder on a Wednesday night, and I was listening to Walt Lever during a wonderful Wednesday. Kind of ironic, isn't it, to hear Walt? And I was one of his successors following Mike and so forth. Anyway, they tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I would step in as interim because our brother Dix had received a calling from Chattanooga. And I thought, yeah, I'll do that. That was nearly three years ago. Uh, but I'm the one who shared with them a few weeks later, don't be any hurry. Take your time. And as always, it's always God's time. God's timing for his people, for the church. But I want you to know that I have been preaching the gospel from February of 73 when I first began at a little church of Christ in Minko, Oklahoma, following Oklahoma Christian University and my work there, then at Minko in February of 73. In fact, I hadn't even graduated yet. I was on my way to graduation and the um, leadership, God, through them, called me to preach. And so Debbie and I, and um, it was just the two of us, that's where John Mark was born, uh, that, that following October. At any rate, um, I want you to know, and, and I don't want this to fall on deaf ears as if I've said it before, I've never said it. 
And so I want to say it and get on with the message. But that was the single most honor of my preaching ministry the last three years. I loved the first three, first four nearly as well in 05 to 0 through 08, but the single greatest honor I've ever had was when I was asked to come back for a lot of reasons, none of which I'll really go into right now, all good reasons. I'll go into one, I'll just mention it. It gave me true closure. There was closure before with WIT 1.0, but with WIT 2.0. So anyway, I want to thank the shepherds and thank the staff and, my goodness, thank the congregation. I have learned more. This may be hard for you to believe. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. I know a preacher would understand this or any Bible school teacher. I have learned more in the last three years, I'm so grateful, selfishly, that the Lord called me back to the pulpit because my faith has grown, my knowledge has grown, and I felt like I knew some scripture before that. But this, these last three years, I have really dug more than I would normally dig in all the previous years, however many that is. I don't know, from 73, that's about, that's nearly 50 years, isn't it? 40, 49 years. Anyway, single most honor of my preaching career. Now, uh, at one of our graduation, one of our high school graduation gatherings about, I don't know, eight or nine days ago, um, I was out there by the pavilion, and I was talking with a couple, just very, very dear friends of ours, uh, and they both told me, you know, we're not going to be here for your last sermon. And I thought, that's, that's fine. That's no problem at all. You know, it's a holiday weekend and then she added, it will be your best. And I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Not that we ever think about best or worst. We truly don't in the pulpit. At least I don't. But I thought, I don't think so. In fact, I think there's no way, pardon the double negative here, I don't believe there's any way that I cannot not have this anticlimactic. I think it's just by nature going to be anticlimactic. Kind of reminds me of the 10-year-old boy. True story, actually. Of the 10-year-old boy who was expecting a bicycle on Christmas morning and got a sweater. Sorry, Shane, but... You know. <laughs> Didn't really know that's what you wanted. You know. Um... That's sort of how I feel, to be honest with you. But as I was talking to Debbie, not my Debbie, but, but the Debbie there at the graduation moment, I thought, you know, maybe that's the very reason that the text I want to return to in Romans 1, 16 and 17. I think it's so important, church, for us to understand that even though God calls messengers, he calls shepherds, he calls teachers, he calls every one of you. That's why Paul writes, you know, I beg you, Ephesians 4.1, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. It's just not the, the, the preachers who are called. Every Christian 
Felix is, is called by God. Called by God. And so we are to lead a life worthy of the calling. And it's a reminder that the one who calls is omnipotent. That the power never was in the messenger, never will be. And if any messenger thinks the power is within him or her, don't ever attend. Don't go where they are. Because then you, the prayers don't leave the ceiling. There's no, I am impotent. We, as the body of Christ, are impotent without God. All power belongs to God. And so, this is the text. Actually, confession, not necessarily the sermon, but this is the text I began with for all of those with an incredible memory uh, nearly three years ago. Romans 1, 16, 7. It's the very text I thought about in the elders' meeting when they would ask if I would consider this. Before I even said yes, I was thinking of this text, and it's the text I decided whenever the moment comes that I want to conclude with. Because everything when it comes to preaching is in this verse of Scripture. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The power, church, has always been in the message. Thanks be to God. So let's look at this again, shall we? I am not ashamed. Now keep in mind who the Apostle Paul is, where he's been. The great Apostle Paul had already suffered grievously for the church. I mean, all the way from, from uh, Antioch of Syria, all the way to Rome. He had already received, he tells the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians uh, pardon me, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, chapter 11, verses 23 and following. He said, five times I received 40 lashes, less one at the hands of the Jews. Interesting that the writer, that Paul himself, worded it like that. I think it was commonplace, by the way. Apparently, pretty much everyone understood, all of the authorities, both Roman and Jewish, that if they flogged you, was not to kill you, it was simply to inflict enormous pain. And Paul says, five times I have received 39 lashes at the hands of his own people, the Jews. That's 195 flogging stripes on the back. What do you think his back looked like? Frequent journeys and frequent danger, danger from my own people, danger from, um, from false brethren, uh, danger from the Gentiles, danger from rivers and robbers. And then he adds, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in cold and exposure. And then he talks about the emotional uh, uh, pain that he felt. And then he says, there's the daily pressure of the churches that are upon me. Now that's what Paul told the Corinthian church. He then All of the beatings, all of the floggings, the, the stoning, all of that 
I counted, this is a very strong word he'll use, I counted as refuse, as dung, for the worth of knowing Christ, my Savior. He will not be ashamed. This one verse reveals the entire purpose of Romans. It clarifies the gospel, unifies the church, uh, and reveals God's righteousness. Then we went through a 10 or 12 sermons on Romans. Uh, that was a couple of years ago when, uh, whenever we did that. But if you can remember a little bit of it, this is where it began. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church, and he says, I am going to um, the good news of Christ. I am going to unify your division, the, the uh, Jewish Christians and the, and the Greeks. I'm going to unify you, and I'm going to reveal how God saved you. As a reminder, I'm going to reveal God's righteousness. I tell you, there is no way any body of Christ, body, any uh, church of God, can possibly be divided if they understand the good news of Christ it will unify them, and it will reveal God's love and mercy and forgiveness. You simply cannot be separated one from the other when you really understand that you are truly lost without Jesus. All of you. That's why we are una familia. That's why I bring up those words in Spanish so frequently. I can't think of another expression that more, that, that more clearly communicates what God wants us to do than that. We are one family, one assembly, you know, not of wit, of, of Christ. So he says, number one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Number two, it's the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. I know that we have spent, I don't know how many Sundays, and you probably your whole life, understand that 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, really reveals to us what the gospel is. Paul writes, I would remind you, brethren, what terms I preached to you, the gospel which you received, in which you stand, catch this, by which you are saved, <laughs> unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, Paul writes, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again uh, on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, we've said before, and it is true when we tell the community that the gospel of Christ is his death, burial, and resurrection. It won't mean anything to them unless we do a couple of more things. One, we say it, in love and mercy. Well, hear, hear this passage. 1 Peter 3.15, the Apostle Peter writes, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you with gentleness and reverence. We always give an answer revering God and being gentle with those that were addressed having a conversation with. So not only do we share the death, burial, and resurrection, we do so in such a way that, that they believe you, and therefore they believe God. It's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. 
It's another takeaway text you ought to put to memory. In everything that we do, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do we share the, the gospel? With love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You will never, ever convert an enemy. No one will give you more than a few moments of talk at Starbucks when you even talk about your faith walk, or even no matter what it is, you move it to Christ. And that's what Paul is reminding the Roman church. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was ashamed of other things. We know at least one of them in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, I persecuted the church. That's why he called himself the least of the apostles. Unfit to be called an apostle. So there were things that Paul was ashamed of, but this is not one of them. And he was never flogged for persecuting the church. He was never beaten with rods for, for killing the church. He was only beaten with rods and flogged and shipwrecked for Christ. And that, you know, you need to take heart to that. Persecution is not wrong. If, if you're doing the right thing, then you will receive persecution in all sorts and all, in all kinds of ways, in all forms. You may lose a friend. You know, you, you um, may get in, you know, somebody may want to attack you. You know, if you're on the street corner simply talking about Christ. You, persecution is not bad. If you're being persecuted for Christ. So Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel. You know, um, I know there are certain passages that we've memorized when we were children. I did. Uh, John 3.16 was one, and then I began to go to ball games and see it all the time, and you know, great moment. In that singular sentence, John tells us what the gospel is. God's love, God's gift, God's offer. For God so loved that he gave, and if you believe that, you'll be saved. One of my, actually, um, don't know if you've read much of Max Lucado. He's written so many books. Um, and he writes them all the same way, but they, but they work. So apparently it's a... It's a it, it, so he, he uh, published a copy called 3 colon 16, 316. And my one takeaway, and I try to find takeaways in all books that I read, my one takeaway from Lucado's 316 was in the introduction. And I've never forgotten it. He said, if you know nothing about the Bible, begin here. If you know everything about the Bible... Return here. It's profound. It's good to study deep, but if we lose sight of God's love through Christ, it's a meaningless exercise. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. Do you know in 1892... I wasn't there then, anywhere. Neither were you. 
That's 129 years ago. But there were some farmers in the Antioch community who got together, and I think called by the Lord whether they would use You know, La Iglesia de Cristo in Antioquia, the Church of Christ in Antioch. They're all gone to the other side. They're all present with God now in the eternal way. I don't know how many shepherds have been in the body of Christ since then, 129 years ago. I don't know how many Bible school teachers. I don't even know how to go. I can't get beyond John Adams, Brother John Adams, his father, who was preaching here before war. But beginning with John, which goes back about 60 years from what I've read, you have And following Walt, our brother Mike Root was here. Following Mike, Whit, or actually Jim Woodruff for that interim. And interims are really important. I, I applaud the wisdom of the shepherds for considering that in transition. Prayerfully, by God's mercy and grace, we haven't lost a beat. We've gone from a great preacher to Josh, me as a transitory kind of guy, and then Patterson, whom I... So I'm so looking forward to learning from In any case, there was uh, John, then there was Walt, then Mike, then Jim Woodruff, who is in God's presence right now, me, 1.0, Josh, Joshua came for seven years, then Whit 2.0, that's number seven, and now we come to Patterson. God is good. If I line everyone else, everyone else up here and ask them or simply made the statement, they would all, you'd hear this resounding, amen, I know. I, I, I really know them all, but I haven't had the privilege to get to know Brother Adams. But I know Greg, and I'm sure the apple didn't fall far. Greg's such a great man. So line all seven up here, including our brother Patterson. And if I were to say something like this, gospel, the power has never resided with the messenger. It has always been the message and the one who gives us the message. Before you could say a word, they would echo, amen. amen. I, I know, I don't, I, that is, yeah, there's a sign, amen. I like that. We need to get those. We need... You've got them. I'm really observant. <laughs> Amen. Huh? Amen. I love it. <laughs> Patterson will love it too, trust me. In fact, I've been told that the more amens, the shorter the sermon. They just got it with me, so I am safe. I can't use that as an excuse. I forgot where I was. It's not in common. 
1892. So you've got all these. Once again, the power's not in the messengers in the message. Now, does that mean God doesn't call his messengers? Of course the Lord calls his messengers. Can, can some communicate better than others to you? Sure. But the moment I communicate better to you, I don't communicate as well to you. Why? Because we're so different. And that's why the, we have to remember, it's not just Brother Patterson. He's going to walk up here with his own gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to share the Word of God. And you can believe it will be the Word of God. It doesn't mean that that the power somehow resides within him or me or anyone else. The power resides in God. And I take the, the charge, I haven't even used this text up here, but in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, when Paul was charging Timothy, I am not charging right now, I'm not, this is not a charge to my brother Patterson. I do not have that right, nor do I want the responsibility. God is, however, through the shepherds, to me, to Patterson, for you. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Be urgent, in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. One of my favorite presidents was Ronald Reagan. Um, I have other favorites, but he was one of them. In June, on June the 12th of uh, 1987, we find Reagan delivering what would have become later, or what will become after that moment, a very famous speech, you know, when he stands up and says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. He's, he's in West Berlin at the Brandenburg Gate in 87. Two years later, when the wall came down in November, I was at Air Command and Staff College, one of our war colleges for a year's residency, and you ought to see the faculty scrambling to write a new curriculum because our enemy had changed. It was, it was no longer the, the uh, conglomerate of the Soviets. Now they were splinter groups, and so they began introducing us to asymmetric war and so forth. It all began in 1989 when the wall came down. Later, in 1990, President George H.W. Uh, Bush, Bush 41, invited the president back from California to receive an award, and of course his nickname was Great Communicator, and I know I've shared this with you one time. If you remember it, good. I'll share it one more time. And when Reagan was in the microphone talking to everyone, he leaned over and he said, I've never been a great communicator. But I did communicate a great message. That's how I feel. And all of the power here. Not on paper, it's here. Great in the eyes of God, but we all know 
Now, there aren't many great communicators around. There are some. I think Patterson could be one. But much more important is we communicate a great message. Church, it was God, not Moses, who led the people out of bondage, the great exodus. The world applauds Moses. Moses didn't applaud Moses. He he tried to get out of it several times. And he understood it when he placed the rod over the Red Sea and he told these frightened Israelites, Behold the salvation of the Lord. And the waters parted. It was God, not Joshua, who conquered all the armies of Canaan. It was God, not David, who defeated Goliath. It was God, not Peter, who healed the man at the gate, the temple called Beautiful, the gate Beautiful. Healed a lame man from birth. It wasn't Peter's power. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name, in the power of Jesus Christ, take up your pallet and walk. And it was God, not Paul, who shared the gospel from Antioch of Syria all the way to Rome. And it is God who sustains and transforms La Iglesia de Cristo in Antioquia. It is God. Don't forget it. One last bit of Spanish. You know it. Dios es bueno. Todo el tiempo. God is good, church. All the time. And now if I could invite my shepherds up front, our shepherds, to receive the flock, to receive the body of Christ in prayer as we all respond to Jesus. Let us stand.